Hey team, I have a super fast favor for you or from you. We've just put together a survey for all of you listeners of how we can make this show even better, more accustomed to your needs, your wants, your desires, but we can only do that with your input. If you wouldn't mind, please, this will take under two minutes. Go to manuncivilized.com forward slash survey and fill that out for me. I will love you forever and it will be a big help in how we design the show moving forward. All right, here's the episode. For anything to change, it had to be dissolved out of its current form. It, it, say a metal was in a, a sort of form. Mm-hmm. It had to be dissolved, broken down, destroyed, eaten, crushed, burnt to a crisp, killed until it could be back, remade into a new form out of all that destruction. Right. Mm-hmm. So one of their fantasies was that, you know, burning things up in the fire, put yourself in the fire and let yourself burn up and everything that can burn up will burn up. And what's left over was ash. So they said ash is super valuable because it can't burn anymore. There is no greater battle going on inside of men than that between the wild and the domestic. My name is Trevor Bohm. I'm the founder of the Uncivilized Movement the author of two books, Today I Rise and Man Uncivilized, and the founder of The Uncivilized Nation, and your host for this podcast. In today's episode, I sit down with a great friend of mine, a man who started off as my therapist while I was getting divorced and has since become a trusted ally, a trusted advisor. This is Tom Elsner. Now, Tom is a whiz. He is a savant. He's a genius when it comes to Jungian psychology and archetypes. And so this past year, when I was going through a really, really intense personal challenge around the wild and the domestic, about wanting to live in the jungle and walk out of society, forget all my responsibilities and just surf and fight and get back in in intense situations, between that and wanting to have a home, a child, a wife, a dog, like all the great things about you know, domestic or civilized life. This, this, this battle was like ripping me apart. And uh, I was deep, deep in the struggle. And so I reached out to Tom and said, hey, I'm coming to Santa Barbara in a couple months. Would you mind if we sat down and instead of doing this over Zoom, we did this personally. Like, I think there's something bigger going, inside, going on inside of me than just, you know, wants and needs or like, an immature part of myself that was acting up. And I know this because I took this question, I took my struggle to some very advanced men. I'm very fortunate to have this extraordinary circle of men in my life, many of whom have written books, who have their own podcasts, who teach classes, who teach workshops, who lead large organizations, who lead lead large organizations of men. And I said, guys, I am struggling. Like this this is jacking me up. This is keeping me up at night. This is challenging my relationship. This is challenging my health. Like, I feel like there's an actual war going on in my stomach. Can you help me? And the answer I got across the board, you know, from guys in their 20s to guys in their 70s, was I can't help you because I have the same war going on in my stomach. I said, okay, this has to be bigger than me. This has to be something universal, archetypal. Right? This has to be something uh, that, that perhaps I can't access myself and quote, like sort out with my own brain. 
So I sat down with Tom and we jammed for about 90 minutes on this topic. And he left me with a number of gems that helped me when I walked out of his office. So if you've ever felt this challenge, if you've ever felt like sitting at your desk at work, like just saying, fuck it, I want to go live in South America, surf, you know, live a simple life, walk back into the woods, own a farm, buy some land, just live that simple, more, you know, nature-based life. But then you've gotten there, you've gotten, you know, deep in the woods, you're hiking the mountains and you're like, man, I want a hot tub, a G-Wagon and a 10,000 square foot house or something therein. Then this, this episode is for you. Tom is a very, very smart man. And he's very versed in things that are bigger than we are. So that's why I'm bringing you this conversation. Before you dive in, if you would do me one giant favor, if you're listening to this on iTunes, please do me a favor. Stop. Just hit pause. Go leave a review and come back. This will take 30 seconds of your time. But I think we have 150 reviews at this point, and I'd love to get over 300, 400. It would help the podcast a ton. And lastly, if this episode moves you, which I know it will, please share it with someone. Please share it with someone in your life. Please share it, please share it on social media. Tag me at Trevor Bohm. Like, let's get the word out about this because this is an important topic and it's, it's one that leads to a lot of men acting out. It leads to a lot of stress. It leads to a lot of drug use. It leads to a lot of challenge. And as you know, the mission of the uncivilized movement is to end the unnecessary suffering in men so it ends the unnecessary suffering that men cause. So the more we talk about this, the more we spread it, the more we get information out like this, the more we all benefit. Okay, without further ado, the wild versus the domestic with Tom Elsner. Tom Elsner, thanks for joining, brother. You're welcome, Trevor. Yeah. Great to see you. You yeah. as well. Yeah. For Just for 30 seconds, for people who don't know you, would you mind giving a little bit of your background as it pertains to the conversation we're about to have? Sure. Well, let's see. I, at one point in time, was a lawyer. I went back and got a master's degree in psychology and then trained as a Jungian analyst out in Switzerland. Um, and that's what I've been doing since 1998. So I have a private practice in Santa Barbara. I belong to a bunch of Jungian groups. Mm. And I'm working on a book currently that's on Coleridge's poem, The Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner, which is, um, has a lot to do with the topic you want to talk about today. Actually, we may talk about it. It's a long extended night sea journey, you know, um, into realms of the unconscious that are populated by snakes and the moonlight, you know, that the mariner blesses and tries to bring back to the church on land unsuccessfully. Okay. Beautiful. So, yeah. Tom, for people who don't understand what a Jungian analyst is, like, what are some of the tools or ideas that you play with that, like, a, I don't want to use, I'll use the word standard or non-Jungian therapist, like what, what separates you guys? What's the field of study? It's the unconscious, that the, the, the concept of the unconscious is the main difference. Okay. Namely, there's dimensions <clears throat> of our mind, our psyche that we're aware of, mm -hmm. that we call the consciousness. We're sitting here talking. I'm thinking about what I want to say. I can see you sitting next to me. I'm aware of the room. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, there's a whole lot of mental activity going on behind the scenes, you mm -hmm. know, implicitly. And that's what Jung called the unconscious. And there's personal levels to that, memories, experiences, mm -hmm. traumas mm -hmm. that we repress, things we don't want to think about. And from Jung's point of view, there's an archetypal dimension to the unconscious, mm -hmm. namely a, a, a human level 
you know, like the level of the DNA. Okay. That we share a body, a human body. We share a human psyche. We don't come into the world with blank slate, you know, and that that level of the psyche, Jung thought, is populated by symbols and images that you can find in mythology, for instance. Okay. And it's a dynamism. It's an active, living thing. The unconscious. The unconscious, yeah. So each of us has our own active, living thing, or there is one that we're tapping into and sharing they're both each of us has our own experiences and memories from our personal life Mm -hmm. that live in us you know Mm. we could talk more about that in detail if you want and then at the same time each of us has a typically human dimension to our personalities we see things in typically human ways we imagine the world as in terms of birth death Mm. marriage initiation Mm -hmm. you know okay a quest Mm things like that that are archetypes. Okay. Would you mind defining the word archetype just for someone who's chiming in that's like, wow, this is fascinating. I've never heard that word before. Yeah, it's it's just, it, you could say typical. Typical, the typically human ways of conceiving, imagining, and perceiving the world. We call archetypal. Okay. So what's an archetype? The, the most common things you can imagine are archetypal. Mother. Right. Father birth, death, marriage, growth, you know, those things are archetypal images. And again, they, you can see them in mythology. You can see them in stories. Mm. You can see them in repetitive patterns through the eons of time. So we have that in us. We're just, you know, however old you are, I'm in my fifties, but we're dealing with problems and we will today that have been around for thousands of years. They still live in us. Those are archetypal not just Traver's problem or Tom's, right? but lots of people have certain problems. Okay. Yeah. Beautiful. Thank you. And to give you guys context who are listening, uh, I've known Tom for a number of years now, and he helped me through uh, a good portion of my divorce. And you were my initiation into a lot of, or definitely into the idea of the hero's journey. I'd never heard of that. Didn't, didn't have any inkling of that until you came into my world. And I reached out to Tom, you guys, uh, a couple weeks ago after dealing with some really deep internal strife. I was down in Costa Rica. I was surfing down there, living in a very wild, untamed, free place and was uncomfortable with the idea of coming back to, quote, civilization. And that's, that's a very quick and dirty way of each side of the coin, the the wild, the primal, the undomesticated, the free, and the domesticated, divine, conscious, uh, relational, uh, et cetera, world, I felt like was at war in my stomach. And so, and I want you, I want to just lay out like the severity of it mm. that like I couldn't get out of bed some days thinking about this. I was so anxious. It was so, it, it overtook me. And I, I would tell people there's a fucking war going on in my insides and I can't outthink it. I can't outsurf it. I can't outeat it. I can't outwrite it. Like my capacities, skills, and talents were irrelevant to it. And so I brought this challenge to a number of high level people in my life and said, how do we integrate the primal and the divine, the good, evil, dark, light, love, power, whatever it was that was going on. 
And folks, no one had an answer. And every single man specifically that I talked to said, I swing back and forth between these two extremes myself, some to different severities and degrees to others. But I felt like I was swinging back and forth at the utmost ends. Mm. And so I wanted to bring this challenge, which we're going to immediately start by saying, we're not going to answer. <laughs> there will be no resolution. So don't fast forward to the end. But Tom, can you help perhaps frame this in your wording, your languaging, your understanding of symbol? Like what was going on? I'm not having a midlife crisis. I wasn't, I didn't want to go buy a Porsche or like quit my job, but it, it literally, and I have access to both primal parts of my life and very safe, you know, conscious parts of my life. Can you just help frame someone listening to this? Like why the swing, why the desire for both as opposed to picking one? Like I had a lot of people be like, you just got to make a decision. Either you go all right or you go all left mm -hmm. or you go all wild and fuck it. Sell your business, mm -hmm. move down there, surf, never get in a relationship again or kill the idea that that like pretend that doesn't even exist. Yeah. Come home, get married, have a kid, get a dog, white picket fence, like never open a surf magazine again. Yeah. Can, can you yeah. frame this for us? Well, yeah, let me. There's so much in what you said. So I want to make sure we touch on the major themes there for sure. One of which is just to recap back to the idea of the archetypal personal. When you hold this problem, Traver, that you're in, it's not just Traver's problem. You know, you're not talking about the same thing as something that happened to me when I was 10. Right. And I need to work through it, etc. You're talking about something collective, something in our lingo archetypal. Okay. Good, evil, wild, civilized. Right. You know, this, the, these, these are dualities that belong to the human experience and have for a long, long, long time, mm -hmm. you know? So, so what I want to say right at the start is that it, from the Jungian perspective, for sure, it's really to your credit that you're able to feel this conflict consciously. Mm. One could say, perhaps the only difference between you and everyone else is that for some reason, you are feeling and caring uh, this conflict in your consciousness, in your body. Mm -hmm. You're experiencing it like it's hellish, it's suffering. Mm -hmm. Okay. So that's to your credit. Now, the way we would proceed with it is not that I would tell you what, because <laughs> I can't, how to solve it, but we'd say hold that conflict as consciously as you can, feel it to the depths, and see how your psyche might respond, say, in dreams. Mm. or synchronicities or intuitions, the depths of yourself mm -hmm. might have a symbolic hint as to an answer, you know. But don't split it off. Okay. This is not your way to go. I mean, the, yeah. it's easier for sure. I mean, we want to split one or the other off because it's easier. Yeah, You won't be tortured. But the way um, of uniting contraries that one finds in the alchemical tradition was all about that, the union of contraries in romantic poetry, in depth psychology, you know, in Jung's Red Book, which was mm. his experience suffering these contraries to the depths, mm. you know, is, yeah, feeling them and, and seeing how your psyche responds. But Tom, they just made me, they, they just made me feel crazy. Yeah. 
and I don't mean in the like I wasn't wandering the streets talking to myself, but they were debilitating. They were they were challenging the very fiber of everything that I've built, and on some level, things that I really do want. And and I felt like I had to make a decision. I felt like I was being forced to make a decision. Yeah, and that was the point of of misery. That was the point of like, which pick, pick, which if anybody has two kids, like pick which kid you get to be with and you don't get to be with the other one. Mm-hmm. That's what it felt like. And I don't have kids, so I don't mean to right. put that on people, but it was, right. it was a decision I couldn't make with my brain. And it felt like my psyche was just like, fuck you. Yeah. I'm just going to torture you. Yeah. There's no answer here. Right. Well, I appreciate that. So, you know, if we're in a dark hole like that, sometimes it feels better if there's others down there with us just to start. You're not the only one, you know? So for instance, at the start of psychoanalysis, you know, Freud wrote a book called Civilization and Its Discontents. Mm -hmm. And he realized, oh, here we are living in Victorian society. We're all proper and civilized. We've repressed in his lingo, a lot of sexual dynamics Mm -hmm. or violent urges, things Mm -hmm. like that that aren't acceptable to civilization. Mm -hmm. That was the start of psychoanalysis was that realization. The word he had for that was neurotic being split. Mm -hmm. So Freud's idea in psychoanalysis was what we do in psychoanalysis is exchange inauthentic suffering for authentic suffering. (laughs) Congratulations. Mm -hmm. You know, inauthentic suffering, meaning artificially splitting off one side or the other. Mm -hmm. There's psychological defense mechanisms that help us do that. Repression, suppression, projection, dissociation, addictions, right? of ways to avoid the exact type of suffering that you're describing because it's so painful. So know? if we don't feel this, we create it with the things that you just mentioned? Is that you, what you're saying? Yeah, if we don't consciously hold these complex, and by the way, just to recap, right? This is more than your personal problem. Yeah. So you're dealing with something huge here. You must have some collective fate, like mm. some fate to deal with a collective problem. Okay. Beyond your personal problems. Sure, sure, sure. Right. I see that in my work. I see it in what I write about, uh, et cetera. Yeah. I may have fucked up and told myself I was going to solve this by the end of the year, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, man. I remember. Yeah. Yeah. Whoops. Uh, or at least engage it. Yeah. Let's, that's another way. Engage it. So there, let's just start. Starting point is. No one has a fucking clue how to solve this problem. That's a good starting point. I don't know. You don't know. Nobody knows. Okay. Right. No one can do it like you're experiencing mentally, intellectually. Mm. Can't figure it out. Mm. You know, it's impossible. All we can do is suffer the problem as deeply as we can and see if the psyche responds in some symbolic way towards the eventual unity of these, these opposites. Mythologically, archetypally speaking, the equivalent of healing these opposites would be a whole new image of God besides the traditional Christian one that we've grown up with, for instance. Okay. That isn't that does split good and evil, heaven and earth, mm. spirit and body, mm-hmm. light and darkness, Christ and the devil. Mm. Right. The, the whole image of God, which is a reflection of our self-concept, you know, that we've grown up with is completely split. So is that, is it, did we create that because of our own split 
or did that split create like am, am I feeling this because I grew up in a world where heaven and earth or heaven and hell God and the devil light and dark was taught to me or implanted in me or did we create religion the way that we did because of an innate challenge with those with that duality yeah that's a great question it's the chicken and the egg no one knows i mean you can say well we have a split image of god because god is split god is divided mm. you could say oh we create god in our image not consciously no mm -hmm. one does this as an invention mm -hmm. but through revelation through vision through dream mm. we experience images that reflect the deep structures of the self as they currently exist for us. Mm -hmm. So Jung was um, realizing that we now, me and you, live in a time as distinct from 2000 years ago in the West, where the mind is changing. Our psyche collectively is changing. Mm -hmm. There's new myths generating. Mm -hmm. There's new, like the desire to unite the gorilla with mm -hmm. the Buddha. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's a myth in our time. In other words, a collective push that's gripping a lot of people. Mm. We're realizing, oh my God, we're so split, you know, in so many ways. Like it's like good and evil, heaven and earth, spirit right. and matter, inner and outer. Right. And the world is rent into two. And right and left is another one politically, right? right? So there's a desire down deep because our mind is changing now to come up with different images that reflect a unity rather than a split. Mm. so that's just to say what you what what would be the healing symbol for you in this sense wouldn't be on the level of your personal consciousness but someday maybe in the far future there'll be a wedding of contraries that will be tantamount to a new image of god even that will just express something new about the human psyche that hasn't happened yet and you get to be one of the carriers of something that may happen a long time from now mm. You may add a little brick in the wall of some mm -hmm. new construction that may happen 600 years in the future. Okay. You know? Okay. That's that's certainly what how Jung would see it. Okay. Yeah. Tom, how, how do we, how do I work with this? Right? I, I feel the swing back and forth to the extremes. And yet I want to, I am in relationship with a woman. I have a business, business partners employees, clients. I, I, I live in this world. And even if I don't want to be of it per se, I still have to pay rent. I have to, I have responsibilities in the ecosystems within which I live and I don't want to burst them. So how, how do you recommend people, and not even say people, how do you recommend I start to like, navigate one tiny step of integration here? That makes sense what I'm trying to ask. Yeah. Like first, what, what's, what's the first process? The first, the first process would be to not do what your friends are telling you to do. I.e. pick one and split the other one off. Okay. Okay. If you do that, nothing will ever change. And you won't get rid of the contrary, by the way. It'll come back and bite you in the ass somewhere down the line. Okay. Probably in a nastier form. Okay. You know, if you just decide, well, forget about my wild stuff. You know this, but just sure, sure. I'm going to live in a cubicle and pay my taxes. That's it. Yeah. You're going to be overcome by urges, addictions, sexual sure. fantasies. They're just going to eat you up. Yeah. Similarly, if you just go to Costa Rica, you can't find your way back to civilization. Right. You know, you're going to be lost in the drift and feel meaningless and mm -hmm. lonely because mm -hmm. you're not Costa Rican. Sure. Sure. Sorry. Yeah. You're just not. Right. You know, so 
first step is doing what you're doing. How can I, I'm just going to feel this, this conflict the best I can, the most I can. Then see, look for help in dreams. Look for help from the deeper resources of your psyche. The dreams can express things in symbols, you know, that would be changes internally that would start to reconcile the split on a deeper level. So for instance, um, Jung uh, made a big deal of this Swiss saint, Nicholas von Flew in the 15th century, who left his family and his children and became a hermit, just went out into the woods when he was about 50 years old, left everything behind mm. to go out into the woods and be totally with God, right? So he had visions of God that were terrifying and horrific. Um, and he, through deep introversion, uh, was able to find a way to, to bring these opposites within himself together to such an extent that he became the, uh, not only the first Swiss saint, but he averted a civil war in Switzerland. So, you know, inwardly being able to feel and unite these contraries. Um, when the Switzerland was about to split off into civil war, both factions came to this guy, Nicholas von Flew, this guy living in a little hermitage hut. Mm. And, you know, evidently he didn't say anything to them that was profound or unusual. Mm. You know, he just said, well, things like we should get along, why should we fight? Mm. But because he was a person who had united contraries in himself, it had an effect on other people and they've heard in the Civil War. He had a, a profound dream once that uh, Jung writes about in which he had a vision of Christ wearing a golden bear skin, but Christ as a berserker. Mm. So this would be an example of, of the way that the psyche is trying to unite contraries in his inner life. Mm -hmm. You know, the berserker, violence, aggression, warfare, you know, cruelty mm -hmm. with Christ, um, peace, love, relationship, reflection. Mm -hmm. You know, the psyche itself will help by sending up symbolic images that describe the problem and try to work for a solution on a really deep level, you know. Mm -hmm. And if that starts happening internally, things work differently us but that's the only level that would help you know with this kind of problem so so i have to wait until i dream of of something like dualities coming together last night i dreamt of like a massive wave and i was pointing it out to someone and then i remembered i hadn't had coffee mm -hmm. in the dream and it was like katie i haven't had coffee uh -huh. and i went and made coffee <laughs> and I still wake up this morning all fucked up over which direction to, like, how to integrate these things. Right. Well, you see, this is the, the big waves of the ocean and nature and coffee and the Katie, the coffee, you know, the, it's like, oh, my God. Well, how do those two come together? But you could meet the dream halfway, too, with what Jung called the active imagination, you know, to go back into the dream in a waking state and see what happens, interact with it more. So we could talk a lot about this. I mean, the process of how to engage the psyche at these deep levels is, is the whole process of Jungian psychology. Jung's Red Book is an example. If you're, mm -hmm. you or your viewers want to dig into Jung's Red Book, it's a good example. Of how how Jung, do you work with the Red Book? Well, I mean, it's this huge tomb, you know, right. that's filled with a lot of art as well as bizarre images and dialogues. Mm -hmm. But you'll get, if you re read it, you'll get a sense of a person wrestling with these kinds of issues you know, and how his deep psyche is responding 
as he's tortured, like crucified on the cross mm. between contraries, what's happening in his inner world is alive and active. And over a long process of years, slowly coming to the reconciliation of contraries, the spirit of the times, as Jung put it, with the spirit of the depths mm. is one way he described that conflict. What do those two mean? The spirit of the times is, you know, him walking around as a conscious person in the 20th century, mm-hmm. a modern person, mm-hmm. what he believes, science, power, mm-hmm. his goals, his, his vocation, mm-hmm. you know, and meantime, he realized, oh, there's another part of my personality, a personality number two, that you call the spirit of the depths. And it's everything that's left out of the conscious picture, mm-hmm. religious yearnings, as well as sexual earning, yearnings. Mm-hmm. Um, pagan images of of the deity, horrible trauma, traumatic images that have been repressed, that are collective. Mm -hmm. The problem of war, World War I was going on when you was working on this. Mm -hmm. The problem of evil, you know, God, all these deep things that aren't just his personal psychology, Mm -hmm. you know. And on the level of these deep zones of the psyche, it's not a unity. We human beings are not a unity. Say more about that. Well, you, just like you're experiencing, and to say it again, your conflict is not Traver's conflict. Yeah. It's human. Human beings um, struggle with good and evil. Mm-hmm. Human beings struggle with benevolence and cruelty. Not just one side of the political aisle versus right. the other. Right. The problems in the human heart. You know, mm. we don't know also about inner and outer we have the sense of our inner world but we have a sense of the outer world is totally different in the modern times that's not your problem that's you know the problem of meaning as opposed to scientific fact Mm -hmm. values as opposed to objective truth Mm -hmm. you know we're not a unity there Mm. you're just not yeah 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 so Tom, would you mind like walk me through if you could uh, a practice that I can in- engage with these two energies without physically acting them out. So without going to, I, and I, I guess I'm asking, is there a way? I, I think I've probably substituted some of this. Like I still do jujitsu. I still, a couple of days a week, get to go in and fucking choke people. Mm-hmm. I still want to have sex with my partner in a certain way, like kinky dominant sex. And yet I still do write some poetry and sit quietly and read books. But it, it feels like that's playing them out safely as opposed to actually getting to the root energy of them. Mm. How is, is there a way I can engage in the root energy of them without acting them out, out physically? Does that really question make sense? Mm. Like you were saying the act of imagination. Is that, is that just fantasy? Is that like daydreaming? Is that like masturbation? Like, if, would you mind just talking us through, talking me through some of, a deeper explanation of that? Sure. Yeah, if I can. I mean, this is also just to preface the 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 great unsolved problem of how to unite these contraries. I'll just preface what I'm going to say with saying this is if this is the whole problem of the alchemical imagination which Jung valued because it's this big phenomenology of exactly this question you're asking. Because all of alchemy for thousands of years has been engaged with this problem. What can I do to unite these two fire and water? 
How mm-hmm. do fire and water possibly come together? It's mm-hmm. impossible, mm-hmm. right? Okay, so the al- alchemists came up with some like recipes, you could say, for sure. what could be helpful with this. <laughs> but I just, before I tell these to you, I just want to say um, there's such a long history of, of an answer <laughs> to, mm-hmm. your, to your question. It's so deep and, you know, impossible in a way. But the um, the alchemists came up with um, little formulas that can that can help. Like for instance, they have one that's lasted for two thousand years in their tradition, which is turn the earth into water, turn the water into air, turn the air into fire, and then you'll receive the wisdom. Or sometimes there's a new earth that comes out of that mm-hmm. process. So you translate that, you know, and from the symbolic language and the psychological, it's um, turn the earth into water could mean take what seems factual, literal, brute facts, drives, urges, symptoms, mm-hmm. emotions, and turn them into water. It means find the images that are hidden in those facts. Mm. You know, like sexual urge. If you reflect on it and let yourself drop into it deeply, you might see an image that's associated with that urge, that drive. Like a symbol, like Like a physical physical image? Yeah, this would be something introverted. I mean, it's also for extroverts, this might be a strange thing to do or hard to get a handle on. Yeah. But if you have the capacity to close your eyes, you know, let yourself feel the conflict that you're in or say the sexual urge and just reflect on it, right? Instead of acting it out physically, instead of repressing it, reflect on it, feel it internally. Look within yourself and in your mind's eye, an image might appear that's mm. descriptive of that drive. Mm. It might appear as a berserker. It might mm. appear as a rapist. It might appear as a, a lightning bolt. It might appear mm. as some, an animal, mm-hmm. whatever it is. And then the, the way to work with that would be to turn it into air, would mean to find the meaning of that image. You know, what is that? What is the meaning like of a berserker? Mm-hmm. What is that? You know? Um, and then the f- turning the air into fire would mean that maybe some spark of illumination would come out of that process, mm. which is a process of taking things from being dense to gradually more subtle mm-hmm. images, and a revelation might come that no one expected, mm. right? So that's a, that's a hint of a, a process that could be of help mm-hmm. in dealing with this. But it's basically a process of inner reflection, putting drives fantasies into a vessel so to speak mm-hmm. you know into a, a medium that they're not flying out into the world mm-hmm. and they're not invisible you can see them but they're contained you can mm. work with them right okay what i may be up totally enraged yeah by something instead of killing someone or instead of repressing the rage how you doing trevor i'm fine everything's good no yeah. problem but yeah. i'm drinking myself to death right you know saying you can reflect what is the meaning of all this rage you know spend 30 minutes in the morning and don't just think about it right just just if you close your eyes images memories might come up associated with the rage if you allow them there might be a stream of consciousness associated with it you might remember things from childhood Mm. you might like i said earlier see an image that is reflective of that rage and that's something you can learn to work with and engage directly and out of that a transformation might occur that's unexpected no one could predict what will happen yeah yeah would you mind saying a bit more of work with directly 
what does that mean in layperson speak? Like to talk to the image, to yeah, look at it. Yeah, this is thank you. It's a good question. Um, I just say when I use the word image or imagination, what I don't mean is fantasy. What we would typically call fantasy, like making stuff up. What's the difference, Tom? Just good. Good question. It's yeah. a really good question for our society. When you say the word imagination, typically we think of, oh, that's something unreal, like delusion yeah. or fantasy, yeah. not something not real, you yeah. know? The way I use the word imagination is that it's, uh, <laughs> imagination is, the, is at the root of reality, what I call imagination. And it's especially inner psychic reality, like images that reflect real things about our real selves that we otherwise don't know. So symbolic imagination is the best possible expression of something real that's unknown to us. So if you say you're reflecting on the meaning of your rage, like mm -hmm. so freaking upset. Okay, what's going on? What is going on here? And then you see a bear driving through the forest. That's that bear is not something you made up. It appeared to you, mm. right? You didn't invent it consciously. Like dreams aren't invented consciously. Mm -hmm. And it's not just a, a fantasy in the sense of it's meaningless either. It's reflecting something real that you're unaware of. It's the best possible way to express something that's true and real about your body mm -hmm. and your psychic makeup that you're unaware of. Mm -hmm. So it's like as if it were a bear mm -hmm. is the best possible way to express it, mm. you know? So what I mean by interacting with that directly is um, you in your in your inner life, it's possible to close your eyes, take a deep breath, get into a meditative state, allow that bear to come up in your mind's eyes clearly as vividly as possible and enter into that picture yourself, just like you were seeing a movie internally, a stream of consciousness. Mm -hmm. Now you put yourself into that picture, you know. See if you can do that. What do you say to that bear? You can mm. talk to it. You can approach it. What does it do back to you? I expect that things might happen there. And the founding principle of all psychoanalysis from the very start is that there is such a thing as an inner world. And there's a mysterious connection between what we call the inner world and the outer reality. So you could say it's a connection between character and destiny character being how we're made up inside yeah and destiny being what happens to us okay if you change your character you change your fate different things happen to you right so that's the principle of all psychotherapy actually you know we work what do, what do i do as a psychotherapist i don't have any wrenches or tools or right. gear <laughs> <laughs> all we're doing is we work with imagination if your imagination changes if your biases, your assumptions, your presuppositions, your fears, your hopes, your dreams, like everything changes, mm. you know, and that can change, right? Mm -hmm. And imagination's no joke. If, if I imagine, if I imagine you killed my family, mm. you'll die. Mm -hmm. it, it, imagination has a very powerful reality to it that we overlook. And it's possible to, to interact with in the inner world. Again, that's a, a subject that you call active imagination. Mm -hmm. And, you know, lots of books have been written about it. You could die, take a dive, deeper dive into mm -hmm. it. Thank you for that. How do, how do I differentiate between 
imagination and fantasy where if you're like take a breath and then drop in i'm like i'm a long-haired six foot five <laughs> billionaire <laughs> with a giant seven g-wagon yeah 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 you know? <laughs> it's a great question there is such a thing as fantasy for sure like you just described usually it's it's wishes mm-hmm. uh, it usually reinforces the status quo it okay. usually is like conventional yeah it usually uh is narcissistic you know and uh, it usually has like a moral to it and Mm. we you know it's congruent with what we already know Mm -hmm. so imagination you can feel a difference of it when it appears it's unexpected it's unusual i never would have thought of myself as a bear yeah like Like that statement like nicholas von flues dreamt of christ in a golden bear skin right for him he's a christian saint right but what that doesn't go together. Mm-hmm. It's totally not status quo for his conscious self. Mm-hmm. It brings up something unusual that no one thought of before. Mm. That's why we revere artists. They have a real connection to imagination, mm. right? That's sort of the function of real artists in society is to, to push society forward beyond the conventional status quo, mm. right? Okay. We all have that capacity, though. Yeah, and, thanks. Yeah. Hey guys, I hope you're loving this conversation with Tom. Uh, One of the things that I love to do is work with, quote, nice guys. As of now, I've sold over 500 of my Kill the Nice Guy course. This is a self-led six-week course that has changed so many lives. And I know that being a nice guy uh, is a challenge for so many men. It leads to a lot of pain. It leads to a lot of suffering. I know this because it did for me. And yet I now have hundreds of testimonials from men who are deep in relationship, who are having more sex, who are making more money, who have taken ownership of their lives and are living amazing lives. And most importantly, aren't in the pain that they were previously. So if you're curious about this, please go to manuncivilized.com forward slash kill the nice guy. Again, six weeks, self-led. You can take it at your own pace. I know this, this course works. Please go check it out. All right, back to Tom. Tom, something that came up, it wasn't a dream, but I was listening to, I was actually facilitating a talk. Like I was the interviewer and a guy was talking about the archetype of the king, good buddy of mine, Michael Gay. And I took a note and just wrote, it's time to start studying myth Mm. for myself. Mm. And then looked at it after and was like, well, that's fucking weird. Yeah. Uh, I run a business. I have the myth doesn't fit anywhere in my current needs consciously, right? Like I want to keep going to jujitsu, surf more, put on five pounds of muscle and make another hundred grand. Mm-hmm. That's my goals. Right. So right. like you need to study, it's time to study myth came out of the blue. Is there a piece of myth or is there a, is myth another per, perhaps ingredient in this I know we're not going to get to the final. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, is there merit in that? And I'm not saying my own. Yes, I heard it. So perhaps there's merit. But for for you and your world or other people listening, are there places to go in myth to start to feel answers as opposed to get answers when it comes to duality? Yeah, great question. Um, Just want to point out, the story you told is an example. It's an answer to your own question previously. Or, mm-hmm. You know, how does this work? It's fantasy versus imagination. What's mm-hmm. that? Mm-hmm. You know, I'm doing a 
here we go. And there's all of a sudden something says you have to study myth or you should look at myth. Mm -hmm. That's what I mean by imagination. It's not that you didn't make that up. It confronted you. Mm. Right. And it was unexpected. Totally, totally different than as you just described your, your conscious view of the world and of yourself. Myth. What? Who, what? I don't even, what is that? Yeah. You know, that's an example of something at work in you. That's not your consciousness. That's going to help you going to help you by showing you what you don't know but what you should know there really is something alive in you other than your conscious mind right so i just wanted to point that out okay and then about myth see this is another bias in our modern culture when we think of myth we just think of again like fantasy delusion Mm, disney disney right you know trite or as we typically say oh fact versus myth Mm. that's not a fact that's a myth right you know, it's, right. in other words, we debunk something by calling it a myth. Now, oh, wow. right? Typically, yeah, that's, that's an a, interesting way to put it. Yeah, that's what we most people in the modern world think of myth as something to go beyond, or we can just forget about it. It's all the stuff from the past before we had science, right? Before we understood how things really worked, we had myths right. of the weather. But now we understand mm. the way, well, we don't really, that's a bad example because we sure. don't understand the freaking weather <laughs> at all. But you know, we had yeah. myths about it. The world, and now we have science mm. instead of myth. It was MythBuster. Yeah. MythBuster is a whole show right? <laughs> geared to breaking myths. Great, yeah. exactly, yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. So yeah. I think what your imagination is bringing up from you with with myth is taking it seriously. It means, it means like the the way we can think of myth in vis a vis your dream is everything you would think of as true and real is a myth Ooh. everything you think of as fact and truth and reality 500 years from now will no longer be fact truth and reality wow and 500 years from now people will look back and say oh look at those people in 2023 mm-hmm. you know when they believe say quantum physics and part of the wave particle duality mm-hmm. That was such a myth. Mm. Now we know what it really is, mm. right? Mm-hmm. So we just like we can look back in time and say, oh, look at the Christians who mm. believed in Jesus and the resurrection. Mm-hmm. And that was such a myth. Mm-hmm. But for them and in the Middle Ages, that was real. Mm. People died for that. Mm-hmm. Look at today in the Constitution, the First Amendment, the Second Amendment. Mm-hmm. People that believe in that, that's truth. Mm-hmm. There's people that will not only die, but kill mm-hmm. for the Second Amendment, for instance. Mm-hmm. We, if you don't believe in it, you say, oh, that's a myth. Mm-hmm. But take a step back even further. Everything that we structure our society with is, in this sense, myth. Corporate law. What mm-hmm. is that? Mm-hmm. Does that exist? Mm-hmm. It's all made up. Mm-hmm. If you believe it, we all believe it. So it has real weight. Sure. Money, what is that? Right. You have value as a human being. We believe that you have sacred value as a mm-hmm. human being. Really? Where's the how? Mm-hmm. You know. So studying myth means studying the deep structures of psychosomatic reality that we typically experience as truth, in fact, if we're unconscious of them as such. Mm-hmm. Will you say that sentence again? Do you remember it? Yeah. Studying myth from this perspective 
means studying the deep structures of our psychosomatic being. And psychosomatic meaning? Meaning our DNA, our brain structure mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that generates our sense of the world mm -hmm. and of the self. That's what we mean by myth from this point of view. And when we're unconscious of those things, we think of them as truth and fact. And that, that can pertain to, like, for instance, but, um, I remember someone told me this story the other day about a, a father was telling, reading a poem to his son, his young son, and the young son said, is that, dad, is that a real poem or do you just make that up? Mm. As if there's a difference. Right, right, right. If we're unconscious that everything's made up, yeah. that we can perceive, conceive of, touch, taste, feel, imagine. We live in a human world. We don't live in the world. Mm -hmm. And that human world is structured by our brains, by our DNA, by our unconscious psychological you know, self. And myth is a pictorial symbolic expression of that. Okay. It, myth is true because of that. Mm, okay. It's saying something real and true about the deep structures of human, humanity. Mm. So we're caught in a myth, me and you, that's the subject of today, which is a myth of the splitting of opposites. Mm -hmm. Like there is such a thing as sexuality and spirituality. Well, is there? Well, you perceive it like that mm. and it really matters to you. I would say that you're living in a myth of a split world, like, like it's 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 the way you experience yourself in the world, and if there was a new myth that was a union of those two someday, you wouldn't be suffering. It would be different. Mm. Everything would be different. So it's really just how the stories of our our biography as a culture have come forward. That's quote reality to us. Yeah, like, yeah, listen, politically, speak, take a, you yeah. know, politically speaking, for instance, there's two factions in the United States, right yeah. and left. Right. Does anyone ever think to wonder about that? Like, right and left? Yeah. You know, does that make sense? Like, there isn't any right and left as a scientific fact. Sure. But there sure is as a myth. Sure. We just call it something else. We just call it politics. We call it, and, and if we're inside of, so to speak, psychologically contained and identified with that myth, we call it reality. Mm. The pe and, and the people on the other side are bad people mm -hmm. that are wrong. Mm -hmm. That's a myth. Mm. I mean, it's not a myth if you believe it. Like Joseph Campbell said, myths are other people's religions. That's a hell of a sentence. If you're inside a myth, for you, it's true. Yeah. So say scientifically, modern science has been for identified for since the beginning of, well, since the 17th century onwards with natural materialism. Yeah. You know, the idea that nature is a machine, like mm. a clock. Uh -huh. that runs according to deterministic rules and causality and has nothing to do with psyche or mind at all. Yeah. That's a myth of science. Yeah. Tom, I don't know if, you're, if you remember this, but when I came into you years ago, <clears throat> I had just read No More Mr. Nice Guy 
mm-hmm. Robert Glover's book. Mm-hmm. And he says, like, here are the 12 traits of a nice guy. Uh-huh. And I had hit every single one of them. <laughs> and I was like, am I just a set of patterns and like nothing else? And you're like, calm down. There's more to you than a set of patterns. But I think th- if I can put this in context, you you put me in the myth of that archetype mm. of the nice guy archetype mm-hmm. of, and the, what the book did was say oh this is just a pattern this is the myth mm-hmm. up until reading that book that was real that there was you like, go. hey this is right. my life this is normal this is this is reality mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so if we if we pull this back to integration of primal divine undomesticated or yeah. wild and domestic is the duality itself just a myth? Yeah, but it's except for the word just. It's a hell of a thing. It's really it's you suffer from it completely. It is a, a it is what you suffer from with that duality is the result of a long historical spiritual chain of events. Like at one point in time. Two million years ago, human beings didn't suffer this way. Right. My dog doesn't suffer this way. <laughs> My dog. <laughs> right. God bless. Him. <laughs> yeah. And and is it because they didn't like before people lived in civilization, there wasn't a remembrance of what it was like to be quote free, and will we get far enough away from the wild that living in a cubicle and paying taxes, it feels whole? Mm. I guess that's, that's the question. Mm. And uh, maybe this will, I I did a month long wilderness survival course Mm -hmm. a couple of years ago. Mm -hmm. And on the very first night they took us out and said, we want you to lie down here in the dirt, look up at the stars said, we're not going to teach you anything that's not already in your body because mm-hmm. you used to live here yeah. 100 years ago. Yeah. We're not talking millions and millions of years of distance between you and the wild. Mm-hmm. We're talking three generations. Is, is the reason why this wasn't a problem two million years ago because they didn't fucking have iPhones yet? And is, it, is the reason it's suffering in me and perhaps not so much suffering in a 25-year-old who grew up completely on the internet is because I remember a time or my body remembers a time and his doesn't. Does that question make yeah, sense? Yeah, no, I, that's a profound question, I think, right? Because it implies that maybe in a couple of generations, people will be so merged with machines, they won't feel any conflict this way like you do because they'll just be completely dissolved into techno land. Yeah. It won't even be an issue, which is, to me, maybe inevitable but kind of frightening so mm. but but yes absolutely you a few you know like the the bushmen look up at the stars they they hear the stars singing to them mm. they hear that you know we say oh well they're imagining they hear it but mm-hmm. they hear it and pascal one of the progenitors of the enlightenment looked up at the nighttime sky he said i'm terrified by the silence of the eternal spaces Mm. It's a completely different myth, a completely different experience phenomenologically of the world. Okay. You know, and you live in a particular one. As a white guy, you know, you mm-hmm. probably have European mm-hmm. roots somewhere in the back there. Mm-hmm. German. Yeah. German. Yeah. Well, 
dude, your ancestors way back when, you know, at one point in time, were living in the trees and the caves and the dark ages. And before that, pagan cultures in Europe were colonized by this very spiritual Middle Eastern religion called Christianity, mm. you know, and it came over from, you know, Israel and into Europe and sort of was added on top of all of the pagan ways people have been living forever over there. And it hasn't gotten together yet, even still, mm. you know. That's but, is that the original duality? Well, not the original one, but it's one that, you know, you, as a, as Europeans, yeah, you know, we we suffer that one too. It's not the original split, yeah, or duality, but you know, like the way you experience like Christ with the berserker, that's right. an example. Like that guy has a European mentality. He's got a pagan berserker ancestry in his DNA. Mm. And all of a sudden he's trying to be in this ultra spiritual religion from far, far away. It just recently arrived, relatively speaking. It's like oh. an overlay on something mm. that hasn't united. Mm -hmm. You know, like Mr. Nice Guy. Well, those are basically like I should be, you know, helpful. Yeah. I should be of service to other people. I should be respectful. I should be meek and mild and gentle and all those things. Yeah. You know. Well, where does that idea come from? That's not a pagan morality right. at all. That's not the Roman morality. That's not the Greek morality at all. It comes from somewhere historically. Mm. And you suffer from these things. Again, just to repeat, it's not just Traver's problem. Sure. Right. So Jung would say, good for you, man, that you are suffering this so consciously. Yeah, thanks, Jung. only hope for, for something to change is people mm. like you that feel this to their bones and don't split off anymore and see if something else can happen. And it may be 600 years from now or a thousand years from now, who knows? But our, the way forward would be to see how the psyche in you, the symbolic images deep down, your dream, you should study myth. Mm -hmm. Okay, mm. take a step forward, study myth, whatever that means to you. Yeah. Say yes to that hint, go forward, see what happens next. You'll have another dream that's unexpected, yeah. and then something else will happen. Okay. In the in fairy tales, folk tales, there's all sorts of heroes, right? There's the strongman hero, there's the magician hero, mm. there's the trickster hero. There's also a hero called the the dumbling in the in the literature, mm -hmm. and that's the hero that's so stupid. He's the youngest son that doesn't know anything, mm -hmm. you know, but he follows the animals, mm. he listens to the animals, and he always comes out ahead of everybody because mm. of that. It would be that kind of thing. In the modern world, that would be the dumbling, mm -hmm. you know, not intellect, not willpower. Listen to the deeper voices of the self, the soul in nature. Mm. See what hints they have to tell you. Follow those. Like, yeah. If if we come back to myth, are there myths that you know that like help with this duality? Like, just as opposed to study myth, feels like. Study English literature. Mm -hmm. Well, there's a fuck ton of books. There is. Do you have yeah. in your practice or in your experience other myths that you would send me to or guide me to to look into? Yeah, there were two two um, things I would guide you to in that respect would be first the alchemical myth. Okay. So 
a Jungian analyst that's very close to Jung named Mary Louise von Franz wrote a book called Alchemy. It's published by Inner City Books. It has a green cover. It's a series of lectures she gave to the Jung Institute in the 70s, I think, in Switzerland. Okay. It's a good starting point. Okay. Because the the alchemists were people like you that I know we we typically think, oh, those alchemists wasted their lives by foolishly trying to turn lead into gold, mm -hmm. right? But for many of them, lead and gold were symbols, and they knew they were symbols. Turning lead into gold means taking what's valuable and worthless, dark, dense, and, and making something of eternal value out of it, for instance. Mm. You know, so they were all people like you. They they didn't go according to dogmas or what the priest was going to say or the traditions. They just looked at stuff and they projected their inner psychic background onto the matter. And they saw things happening out there and they just observed what they saw. It was like a big matter became for them a big projection screen for the background of their unconscious. Mm. That's why alchemy is full of weird mythological images that have nothing to do with chemistry. It's mm -hmm. not about chemistry. Mm -hmm. you know? And when they did that, they, they dropped into the fantasy or the imagination of how things united that were disparate. And it's a huge phenomenology of just that thing. Mm. Um, so I would direct you to the alchemy myth. Okay. You know, and there's also a book called Jung on Alchemy. It's an excerpt of Jung's writings on alchemy. Okay. Um, also folk tales yeah. are good because <clears throat> folk tales are basically alchemy for everybody. The alchemists were all the most well-educated elite of their times in the Middle Ages, you know, the priests and the mystics, the people that had money to do this and time to do this were well-educated. Yeah. But you'll find a lot of motifs of contraries trying to unite in folklore. Mm. And if you can find, read a bunch of Von Franz's books on folklore. She has a whole series of books on fairy tales that are amazing. See what jumps out at you with that. Okay. In every folktale, there's two worlds. Mm. Yeah. Every one of them. Two right? worlds. Yeah. There's a civilized world and a world of nature, or there's an ordinary world and a supernatural world. And all folk tears are like, how are those two worlds going to come together? Mm. How is the miller's son going to marry the princess? Right. Right. For instance. Right. And they're genius little symbolic stories depicting typical problems in life, typical solutions to those problems. And Von Franz's books on fairy tales are incredible treasure troves of this okay yeah thank you yeah that's helpful any other just loose thoughts tom you have about you know not just young based but from your own practice like you ha have you seen men specifically like come to terms with this or yeah, yeah. It's a good question. Yeah, it's all, and there's no way around it but by suffering the fucking hell of the conflict. I mean, and living it, living it down to the dregs, living it out. There's no way to avoid it. Yeah. Like you have, we you have to suffer through the back and forth one after the other for a long time before something might happen differently, and it it, it typically means a, going off the beaten track. Put it that way. Like mm. you, you you've done tremendously in your life. Mm -hmm. You know. Um, and be and having to be unconventional um, and having to endure the scorn of society that mm -hmm. says you're bad don't do that mm -hmm. that's wrong and we could get more into specifics but i think you get the gist of what i mean there's no way to avoid that 
experience mm. of drinking down to the dregs certain conflicts and living them one after the other at first. You know, it's cowardly to avoid the conflict mm. and nothing will come from it. It feels like the only answer is collapse. Like, and I don't want to, I don't want to confuse that word with surrender to the idea that there is a conflict feels engaging and more active. But when I felt into, I think when I was, when I was leaving Costa Rica, I was like, this is just going to fucking break me. Yeah. Like that's, that's my only choice is to kind of let it beat me to a point where I actually don't want to be happy in either, or I won't be happy in either. I'm going to go home and I'm going to be miserable because I'll wish I was in the wild. Yeah. I'll come back to the wild. I'll be miserable because I just want to be back in society. Yeah. Yeah. Is that part of the process? Like a, a natural part of it, or is it, because there is no answer, you got to just lay down and, and not, not physically die, but like give up on this quest. You're on something totally pertinent here. Absolutely. You say, let yourself break, Trevor, let yourself die. It's safe to die. And there's one perennial theme all over the world about transformation. It's symbolic death. Things change by dying. And it's such a horrible process changes that it feels like we are dying and it, we are mm-hmm. dying to at least to the old self and the old ways let yourself die let yourself break there's no way around it and the alchemy myth you know they they had this sense that for anything to change it had to be dissolved out of its current form mm. it, it, say a metal was in a, a sort of form mm-hmm. it had to be dissolved broken down, destroyed, beaten, crushed, burnt to a crisp, killed until it could be back, remade into a new form out of all that destruction, right? Mm. So one of their fantasies was that, you know, burning things up in the fire, put yourself in the fire and let yourself burn up and everything that can burn up will burn up. And what's left over was ash. So they said ash is super valuable because it can't burn anymore. You know, this is the kind of imaginal way they would describe how do how, how do things change? Mm. It was horrific, always. You know, always. It's horrid. I remember a guy I worked with a long time ago when I was first starting as a psychotherapist. He was going through a process like this of change and transformation, and you know, he had dreams of things dying but being reborn again in a new way. And I said to him, "Oh, look, because of this dream, you're in a transformation process." Now, all he felt was hell mm. and despair, mm-hmm. you know, and I never forget it. He just sort of bent over in the session, put his hands over his face and said, it doesn't feel like transformation. Mm. And I thought, ah, I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> but then I also thought he must have an idea of what transformation feels like. He probably doesn't think of the caterpillar crawling into the chrysalis and turning to goo. Sure. He just thinks of the butterfly. Right. Probably. That, uh, I would say to him now, yeah, that's exactly what transformation feels like. Yeah. Hey, Trevor, you're dying. Yeah. It's safe to die. Let yourself break. Mm. Let yourself dissolve. Be crushed by the conflict. Mm. Something is active in you that will still be there. Mm-hmm. And so it's just faith in that. Yeah. One percent. Totally. It's it, that is a good use of the word faith. Like 
it's not blind faith, but mm. you know, it's faith that there is something, not just my intellect here mm -hmm. and not just what I know about things. It's part of me. It's doing this. It mm. knows the way. So that's why I said, if you're in a dark hole, it's good if you know others are down there with you. Mm -hmm. Other people have lived through this. Mm -hmm. That's myth. Study myth. Other people have been through this. They've even come out the other side. It's been valuable to them. They've written about these stories and stories. You know, connect with that. You're not alone. Mm -hmm. It's not all up to you to figure it out. Mm -hmm. So I would say to you, really, and I, I guess I am saying to you, Take that dream seriously. Study myth in whatever way makes sense to you, or mm -hmm. however it appears. You know, that's faith. It's not something you would do otherwise. Right. You don't even know why you're doing it. <laughs> you know, but see what happens next. You yeah. know, something else will happen. Okay, so start taking steps, following the the information that's coming in that doesn't make quote sense. Yeah. Yeah, and if you want to think of it intellectually, you say, oh, yeah, okay, well, follow your right brain. Mm -hmm. Also, let your mm -hmm. right brain speak to your left brain. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Helpful, thank you. Any other thoughts on, on this idea of, of, of duality, of, of merging duality, of anything we've missed? or I'll just end, I guess I will say, it's a myth of our time, in my opinion, that there's a myth of uniting what has been split, especially in the modern Western mind, through the Enlightenment, the scientific revolution, and Judeo-Christianity. There's a myth now, there's a desire in the unconscious to unite contraries, inner and outer, right. good and evil, civilized wild. Right. Yeah. It's, it's gripped many people, this need. And I think it's because we're so fucked up in our civilization, we're at such a dire point mm. that if these splits continue, we could destroy everything. Mm -hmm. There's evil people across the sea that want to kill us. Mm -hmm. There's evil people across the political aisle that are just bad. Okay, what's the if you keep thinking like that, what's going to happen? And now we have nuclear weapons, mm -hmm. for instance. Mm -hmm. Nature is just a dead object. It has nothing to do with spirit or mind or psyche. Mm. all right keep treating the world that way see what happens mm -hmm. right so i think it's it's like you're feeling something that's really needed for at least a few people to suffer the conflict that it, it has been split off forever mm. and so i'm in that with you i mean i don't have a solution either mm -hmm. but i feel with you the necessity inside of myself to do that it's not a conscious wish it's a necessity from inside that grips us i'd rather i'd much rather stay a lawyer like i was before you know charge 800 bucks an hour <laughs> charge 800 bucks an hour and you know just fuck oh my god yeah. <laughs> no this is one of my early dreams was i mean clips of a sun you know but i started getting into psychology the sun had gone out of being eclipsed by the moon in a dream. Mm. And inside of the eclipse sun was a heart growing like a fetus, you know, and the eclipse. You dreamt that? Yeah, I had a dream. I was in a, the dream was short version was I was in an art gallery in the dream. This was at a time of in my 26 years old, really deep depression, 
all the structures of my life had snapped, crackled, popped, mm. and my parents had died and mm. I got divorced. And, you know, the, I studied law, but that was really my parents' thing. Mm -hmm. So when they died, the meaning cracked out of it. Oh, wow. I believed in, in, the, in Christianity for a few years and that cracked when my parents died. Mm. So everything. And so, you know, I was in a state of darkness mm -hmm. and the old structures I built my life on that were basically my parents and my culture's values mm -hmm. cracked. And it, I felt in despair mm -hmm. and depression and a sense of meaninglessness. And in that context, I had a dream that I was in an art gallery with an unknown woman. And she was showing me a series of paintings on the walls. And one of the main paintings that she was showing me was a painting of a, a two hands were reaching from opposite sides of the painting. And in the middle of the painting, there was a, a sun, an eclipsed sun, a dark sun with a heart inside of it that looked like a little fetus. And I painted that painting actually because it was a painting of the dream. Mm -hmm. So I just painted it. So I still have that oh, wow. today. But that um, meant a hell of a lot to me at the time, even though I didn't understand it like I do now in terms of the symbolism. Yeah. It was still a hint inside of this darkness. There could be something growing like a pregnant mm -hmm. darkness here. You know, mm -hmm. I have not the foggiest clue about what it could be, mm -hmm. you know. But over the last whatever. 25 plus years, you know, some a new life grew out of that process. Mm -hmm. What inspired you to paint it as a 26-year-old attorney? It, you know, it was just because it was a painting in the dream. Are you a painter? Not at all. I never had painted anything ever. I had to go to the art store and buy paints. I never I bought acrylics. But Tom, that's <laughs> that's like me dreaming of ballet. And then like going and buying fucking ballet shoes. Yeah. It's, it, it ain't rational. No, right? not at all. And believe me, I was completely conventional. Yeah. Business background, lawyer, studied philosophy in college. Yeah. Rational, everything. And it was just a 180, you know, for, for real, a complete 180. What did painting it do to you? It was, um, that's a good question. I remember it, painting it and I put this painting on the wall. It's very crude. I don't have any clue how to paint, you know, right. but I would pass by it and it would look at me, that painting. I still remember the experience because it, I had myself in it. So it was staring back at me. It was like magic. You know, it was like a, <gasps> look at that. It was energy in it. Mm. It wasn't rational. Mm -hmm. I didn't understand it intellectually, but there was a energy. Mm. Something's going on there. Are you open to sharing how that led to the study of psychology and and, and Jungian work? Sure. Personally? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's... It fe I feel like I, I my dad's an attorney. Mm -hmm. I studied philosophy. Mm -hmm. I'm so fucking rational. Right. Nine, nine days out of 10. Right. And so I, I'm imagining someone listening to this and going, cool, myth, great, bunch, it's both, yeah, whatever. Uh, because there isn't a trail to follow. Would you yeah. mind just sharing a little bit of how that trail opened up for you? Because you just talked about a very irrational act. Yeah. As a, like, if you'd studied dreams, if you'd studied Jungian philosophy right. and knew, right. oh, dreams have symbols. If I paint this, it'll, it'll inform me. But you didn't. So how did you, I mean, first of all, did you think you were fucking crazy? 
With the dream specifically? No, with painting it. Were you like, this is bonkers? Oh, yeah. Like everyone does. Like, <laughs> this is like, I just, I showed a couple people. Yeah. I wouldn't show anyone. And that's how everyone feels. I'm working <laughs> too. I'm like, paint that dream. They bring it in. They're like. I, I still have them. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You had had me uh, draw stuff. Oh, right. Remember? And I was right. like. Oh, that's right. I do remember now. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think I burned a lot of them. Uh, <laughs> yeah. was like, but everyone feels like that. Like I would, they all, I would never show anyone this yeah. weird painting, you know? Yeah. It feels like the non-rational in the modern world yeah. for us, people like us yeah. is psychotic period. Sure. That's what we believe. That's yeah. our myth, so to speak, mm. the way we see it, you know, and that's how it feels to okay. us. When the side of the, ourselves opened up, we were going crazy. Mm -hmm. That's certainly how you see. This is why Jung was so important to me. And I got interested in Jung from these experiences mm -hmm. with dream because he lived through that sort of thing himself. I mean, he was, you know, he wasn't like a shaman mm -hmm. or someone from another culture besides Europe that, you know, had a whole different background than me. He was a white guy that was European that was educated as a medical doctor, mm. that had lived his whole life up to that point when he descended into the unconscious, unquote, according to power, prestige, rationality, science, intellect. That mm -hmm. was his, where he was coming from, mm -hmm. like I was, mm -hmm. right? And then this whole other side of the mind opened up for him mm. that he had to encounter and also think about and try to describe in his collected works, let's use a description of this inner world in ways that he tried to understand intellectually as well as experience. Mm. So, you know, but, but this is, these experiences with dreams, they meant a lot to me just intuitively, experientially, like, like that one. Oh my God, maybe, I remember at the time, I just felt maybe there's something growing in this experience that just feels like a darkness. Maybe there could be something to it, mm. you know? And that's imagination. That's not fantasy. Mm -hmm. My fantasy was everything's fucked. Mm -hmm. I'm doomed. Life has no meaning. Mm -hmm. And the imagination said, look again, it said something different. Mm -hmm. So that's, these dreams were the thing that got me interested in Jungian psychology from okay. the start. Yeah. And so would you mind just sharing a bit of, so you drew this, you looked at it, and then what was the time period before it actually grabbed you to study this and, and turn it into your life's work? Yeah, well, let's see. That was around 95, I think. And then I I started analysis in Los Angeles with Diane Cordick shortly after that. She was the Edward Edinger's partner, a Jungian analyst in LA. He was very well known. It was I he was probably a year or so with her. And you were just a patient. I was a patient of hers. Okay. And then I I decided to go to school at Antioch University. Mm -hmm in Los Angeles where yeah. I could get a master's degree in psychology that a one day week program, I could do that. Okay. And I remember the first, <laughs> the first class I ever had, I walk into Antioch university in Los Angeles. It's like 1996, you know, so I'm 30 years old and uh, I walk into the class. And the first thing I noticed is that all the chairs are in a circle. And I thought, that's weird. I wonder yeah. why the chairs are in a circle. I'm in graduate school. And the second thing was there's like 85% women. Mm -hmm. And I'm sitting in a circle with these women, process of psychotherapy. Within 30 minutes, many of them are crying, mm -hmm. breaking down, weeping. Mm -hmm. And I felt like raising my hand and saying, objection, irrelevant. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> what? And I literally had to talk to the teacher after the class. I said, 
I thought I was in graduate school and we were going to learn about psychology. Yeah. Why are, are we in a class? Everyone's crying. Yeah. It was just insane to me at the yeah. time, you know? So I had all sorts of horrible experiences like that went totally counter to my belief in like money, power, prestige, intellect. That's the way to go. Right. I remember being 26 years old as a lawyer walking into the firm I worked at the woman who was working as a receptionist, she's probably 40. I thought she was old at the time, you mm -hmm. know, she's like, you're 26 and look at how much money you're making. Mm -hmm. Look at yourself. Yeah, this is awesome. Yeah. You know? And then when I was getting an internship to become a psychotherapist, my job here in Santa Barbara at Sanctuary Psychiatric, you know, in-house residential was driving the bus for people diagnosed with schizophrenia to take them to state street so they could walk around, you know, and driving the bus back. And I remember talking with my supervisor there once. He said, you're a lawyer mm. and you're doing this. Of course, they're totally unpaid. Mm -hmm. He goes, do you have like a religious quest or something? Yeah. In other words, are you crazier than the people that you're driving <laughs> yeah. around? You know, a stuff that just made no sense. Rationally. No rational. No sense. rational sense. But it was it, here. It was you, in your guts. It was it, like in the guts and it was, it was. It wasn't a, a wish fulfillment of a conscious plan. And it was mm. something, a necessity deeper mm. than that. And it sucked mm -hmm. for a part of me. Sure. You know, so this is like what Jung meant by the story of Christ carrying his cross. You know, it mm. sucks. You carry this burden of contraries. It's painful. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. so yeah that's but it, it was always dreams and the the wisdom of these images and dreams that got me interested in psychology for a long time i thought that's what psychology was was working with dreams because mm -hmm. that's what it was for me at the start thank you tom for anyone i, I don't know if you have a public place or uh, social media or or when is your book coming out is there anything you want to share with the audience themselves of how do people find you if they want to work with you do you have works that people can purchase or classes that they can take with you? Like, where can people get more Tom Elsner? Oh, okay. Well, they can find me. I have Thomas Elsner, ELSNER.org is a website. People can contact me okay. from that, email me or call me. Um, and uh, let's see. Yes, I got a book coming out probably in a year by Texas A&M. We'll publish it. Beautiful. On the Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner. I'm going to the Jung in Ireland, presenting at the Jung in Ireland program next month. Which you. is a really beautiful place at Glenstall Abbey. Mm. And then I'm going to Oxford in the summer in August to present at the Guild of Pastoral Psychology. Wow. And uh, I'm going to start doing more public programs with just myself in the next year. Good. Good. Yeah. Please, please let me know when those are. Yeah. So I can sit in the back and be like, I have a question. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> hey, I'm Trevor. So glad you came back in <laughs> yeah. to do this conversation. Really, it just is. Um, I mean, I'm real. It's you'll see that they'll this will lead somewhere. I'm already thinking of connections with other people mm. that are interested in this, what you're talking about. Yeah. You know, you'll see what comes from it. But nothing would come from it if you just split off the conflict and tried to anesthetize yourself on one side of it or another. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for your time, brother. You got I it. Thank you. you. This is Trevor Bohm signing off on another episode of the Uncivilized Podcast. If you enjoyed this, please give us a share, give us a five-star rating on iTunes, and if you're interested in getting a hold of my book, Man Uncivilized, whether you're a man or a woman, 
please go to www.manuncivilized.com forward slash the book and get reading.